Hello, hello, and welcome to the Canadian Football Countdown. I'm Ryan Coop alongside Michael Garrell, and we are a proud member of the Canadian Football Podcast Network. Uh, we're going to recap week eight in the CFL today and get into talking about week number nine. But uh, before we do that, before we get into the football talk, I'd just like to take a moment to recognize that today, September 30th, as we record this podcast, is National Day for Truth and Reconciliation. On this day and really every day in general, uh, I think it's important we stand with our Indigenous brothers, sisters, neighbors, etc. Learn about and educate ourselves on the horrific and harmful events of our country's past. Uh, reflect and acknowledge the terrible wrongdoings of them. And while we sadly don't have time machines and can't go back in time and undo the tragic events of the past, we can work together to make sure they don't happen anymore in the present and the future. I want to encourage everyone to take some time out of their day today, tomorrow, this weekend, to learn and to listen and reflect on how we can all be part of a better today and a better tomorrow. Uh, one small thing I would like to start doing on the podcast this episode and every episode going forward as part of this is acknowledging that the lands on which we live and record this podcast here in Winnipeg are Treaty 1 territory, traditional territory, of the Anishinaabe, Cree, Ojibwe, Dakota, and Diné peoples, and the homeland of the Métis Nation. I think it's important to recognize who the land we are fortunate enough to call home truly belongs to, and uh, I am definitely still trying to educate myself further on a lot of these topics. Uh, so certainly, if there is any way we can improve this land acknowledgement for episodes going forward, email me at CanadianFootballCountdown at gmail.com and I would love to learn more about how we can do so. As we bring in Michael Garrell to start talking about week eight in the CFL, Mike, how are you doing today? Not too bad, not too bad. Just getting myself caught up on everything that's been going on, CFL, work-related, and everything in general. Yeah, it's been a busy week. Uh, it's been a weird week with the CFL because we have one team that's played two games in the past week, really, we're already a quarter of the way into week number nine at the time of recording this on Thursday, but uh, we'll go through and talk about the three games that happened in week eight and touch on the Tuesday night game between Edmonton and Ottawa. And I think since Ottawa played twice, we got to start with the Red Blacks here, Mike. Uh, a tale of two games. Uh, last week on Wednesday, they fall to the Ticats 24 to 7. And then this week on Tuesday, out of nowhere, they beat the Elks 34-24. Uh, where do we begin here when talking about Ottawa? Well, I, I think there's a very simple discussion, uh, really. It's the tale of two different games. It's the tale of really two different teams. I didn't recognize the team that I saw on Tuesday versus what we saw the week before. That's um, interesting what... It's interesting what a little bit of confidence can do uh, for a quarterback. I'm not saying it's been on the quarterback play, but man, that's amazing what happens to get play out of out of the quarterback. But I think that was necessitated by maybe in Tuesday's game versus the week before. Um, good field position. Uh, Devontae Deadman. I mean, he was a uh, I don't even know what the word is for that special teams performance on uh, Tuesday, setting up multiple returns with decent field position and really, 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 really making life easier 
Um, really making life easier for a younger quarterback. And I think just to reference it to hockey, it's like when you have that rookie goalie in that, everybody on the team seems to play a little bit more defensively tighter to help the kid out. And it's almost like I think we saw that kind of effort uh, this week on Tuesday versus um, last Thursday. Everybody was kind of more conscious. It seemed like I'm still trying to wrap my head around uh, what we saw because, like to me, Hamilton is a quality opponent. They're an opponent I think that's on the up, getting healthy, and there's Edmonton that had everything handed to them to win this football game. You know, the rookie quarterback, you know, second game in a week for this team. You're coming off a bye, although you're going, you know, west to east and. That's the type of performance you see. It. And, and I think that is a credit to Paul Apolise, who, you know, picked himself up off the mat, was able to motivate his team to an extent, and, and they come back with a prideful performance at home on Tuesday night after not a lot of Ottawa fans were happy, as I remember listening to the uh, post-game comments where the pitchforks were out in... <laughs> cannot uh, underestimate the passion of football fans and uh, more of the, more of what we saw on Tuesday, please. Yeah, you, you touched on Devontae Deadman there early on. Uh, I, I think Deadman is quickly becoming, uh, moving up the ranks to being my favorite player in the CFL. He is so much fun to watch. I believe it's now three straight games of over 250 return yards. Like, he... It's no question in my mind that he's the best return man in the CFL right now. And I would dare put him up there as one of, if not the best return men I've, I've seen in the past decade or so in the CFL. Every single game, I mean, two straight games with a touchdown now. For a team that hasn't had a whole lot going for them this season, they have an absolute wonderful piece there in Devontae Dedman who can really turn the tables for your team. And I think we saw that uh, in uh, that game this uh, this Tuesday as well. But let's go back to the starting off with that game against the Ticats. They, they fall 24 to seven. It did not look good. They ended up getting one touchdown on the board in the fourth quarter, but zeros the rest of the way. Um, Dominic Davis starts the game. He goes six of 14 only for 50 yards and a pick six, his third straight game throwing one of those. And I believe it was on the pick six. He was trying to run back to make the tackle and looked like he planted his foot wrong, took the wrong step, pulled something. And, uh, he's out on the six game injured list. Now Matt Nichols comes in, uh, Kind of seemed like he was having one of his best uh, performances of the season in the little bit he did play there. He went 7 of 10 for 68 yards. It was only, you know, uh, half a quarter to a quarter he played, uh, but it seemed like he was moving the ball decently well. Then he goes down due to injury, and because teams are only dressing two quarterbacks this season, wide receiver Nate Bahar has to line up at quarterback for the final drive of this game. I uh, had a lot of people up in arms over the two quarterback situation in the CFL. Uh, what did you make of this game against the Ticats for Ottawa? Um, I think it would be as close to hot bottom for a season. 
as it could get if it hasn't gotten there already. Um, and I think, to be honest, that that speaks to all the more impressive how their Nets game went. But that being said, uh, Hamilton starting to feel like a team, but starting to kind of get out of the roll, and everybody else better get out of the way. Um, is anybody that's in their path? But that few weeks, particularly the rest of the season, might actually get the Hamilton Tiger Cats what we suspected we would get. We would get. We would get for the season. So it, it, it's interesting how I, I think we finally saw a bit of a talent disparity between the two teams. Now Ottawa has a few talented players on their roster, you know, on defense and Devontae Deadman and, and those types, but. You know, that doesn't match the talent, at least on paper, of the Hamilton Tiger Cats. Whether that, you know, that talent has been on the field, uh, most of the year remains to be seen. But, but they found a way to make it work. Um, you know, they found a way to kind of weather the storm. And I think that's kind of what we said going back on our, on our preseason uh, podcast. Well, you know, if Hamilton can get healthy, I I said all along I wasn't some variation of I wasn't gonna watch what they were doing in the regular season. For me, it was what what can they do in the playoffs, and and I, and I think I still stand by that statement. As for Ottawa, I mean, sometimes you need a really rock bottom low um, to have a franchise defining. Uh, moment and I and I think without those quarterback injuries, Ryan, I don't think we're talking about the performance that we saw on Tuesday night. Where I'm not going to go out and say they found their franchise guy because that would be a little bit, you know, jumping the gun because we've all seen, you know, those guys that are good in one game and then you put them in a jet and there's game tape on them, you know, then they don't respond as well, but. You know what? There was a real silver lining in that game, and it forced them to go with the quarterback tandem that nobody really knew about. And you know what? The franchise gets rewarded with some, you know, good game management from both those guys. Ironically, their quarterback that's injured, I think, has that monitor or has that monitor for a time. Um, but it's it's amazing how at the low point of games can also be franchise defining games. And you don't really expect. This game had a bit of everything in the just weird, wild fashion. You had pouring rain. There was a Ticats player, I forget who it was, but on his way out of the tunnel at the start of the game, slipped and fell on the cement because it was it was so slippery from all the rain. You had uh, Dominic Davis going 6 of 14 for 50 yards in the pick six before leaving in the third quarter, like I mentioned. Uh, You had Hamilton missed three field goals. Ottawa turned the ball over on third and short, I think, like three times. Devontae Dedman had a kickoff return for a touchdown, but then also fumbled at his own five-yard line with two minutes minutes left in the game. You had Dedman fumble on his five-yard line. Uh, then you had Nate Bahar coming in to play quarterback in the final series. Like this was a weird and wacky game always around. And, you know, you mentioned the Ticats pull this one out. And I think things are looking up for Hamilton here because they've now picked up 
you know, the win this week. Uh, they beat Calgary last week, uh, both with David Watford, the third string quarterback. Uh, not really a fantastic performance in either game for him, but they got the job done. Now they're starting to get healthy. Braylon Addison is off the six-game injured list and back on the active roster. Devere Posey is now off the six-game and on the one-game injured list as of this past week, so he's getting close. You have Brandon Banks was a full participant in practice uh, yesterday. You have Jeremiah Mazzoli was a full participant in practice. Like We've seen how the Ticats defensively have turned things around in the past number of weeks. I mean, I've been tracking, obviously, the fantasy stats for the fantasy content I do. And every single and early in the season, it was disappointment after disappointment. Now they've rounded into one of the top fantasy defenses available uh, each and every week. And once the offense gets healthy and gets everything back together with all the uncertainty of like, what are all these other teams in the East division? I'm thinking Hamilton is going to rise to the top pretty quick. You know, it's interesting in sports, particularly hockey, maybe even basketball, baseball, especially, you know, over the course of long seasons, how standings kind of start upside down from what you expect them to be. And over the course of the season, generally speaking, those standings start to kind of corrupt themselves. I think that's what we're slowly starting to see here. Um, I think there's a little bit question as to who finishes second uh, in that division because I know Montreal has a lot of home games left. Uh, their quality of opponents is pretty good. Uh, they have three left with Ottawa, a couple left with Toronto. Um, yeah, so it's it's very interesting. But over the course of the season, generally, you see uh, a market correction when it comes to some standards. And I, I think we're slowly going to start to see that in the East Division, uh, although it really took some time. And there was some interesting stuff going on. Now, let's talk about that second game a little bit more for Ottawa this week. 34-24 over Edmonton. You mentioned it was the uh, the kind of tale of two games here, uh, both with both Dominic Davis and Matt Nichols on the six-game injured list. Uh, we get two rookie quarterbacks starting for Ottawa. Caleb Evans gets the start. Karen Christian gets the uh, backup role. You had Taylor Cornelius starting for Edmonton, who – did have Trevor Harris come off the six-game injured list uh, like a week or two after he was put on it, uh, but still was, and was a full participant in practice a couple of days, but was not on the roster. I I can't remember the last time I've seen a CFL game where the combined starts between the four quarterbacks on the roster was probably what like three or four. I think maybe Dakota Prukop got one or two starts in Toronto. And then Taylor Cornelius had the one for Edmonton against Winnipeg two weeks ago. Like this was, it was a rookie day at quarterback for both sides. And this was a fascinating game. And Mike, I got to give the credit to you. Uh, you know, no offense, but as bad as your pick'em record has been this season, you nailed it with this one when you took Ottawa to beat Edmonton. And I don't know what it is about the matchup with Edmonton that Ottawa can play for. Uh, I put a tweet out on Twitter this week, you know, or yesterday, I think it was, that 
In two games against Edmonton, Ottawa's defense has 29 fantasy points. And in five games against the rest of the league, they have three. So I don't know what it is about the Elks. I don't know if it's because the Elks are basically, you know, half former Ottawa players that this gets them riled up for these games. But boy, was this fun to see. And I'm so happy for Red Blacks fans that they were able to see their team turn it around this game. It's kind of like a tweet that most Dito sent out after the game. And I might get this slightly wrong, but I'm paraphrasing. So I guess this means that Ottawa's schedule consists of outs, 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 all the way to the Grey Cup, where they'll play the outs again. <laughs> if Marcel Desjardins can make that happen, I'm sure he would. True. But you know what? The, this is a very fascinating case study uh, in my mind. Um just because I do not believe that I, I don't want to pin this one on uh, Cornelius as much as I, as much as some people want to. But if if you look at it, I mean, Edmonton special teams uh, covering was not good. Uh, the average starting field position was very good. Um, was very good for Ottawa. That's not on the quarterback. I'm trying to debate now. There's that game Canarius played, you know, two weeks ago against uh, the Bombers. Now, you know, I'm trying to, I'm trying to see if they have something here to work with going forward. And I, I think, I think the answer is yes. I think you cannot. I saw enough from him in two games. But I think you can move forward with them as a, I don't want to say developmental project, but, you know, the future post uh, Trevor Harris, which I know nobody wants to hear, but, you know, it takes some time to develop future quarterbacks. Um, that's just the way it goes. But what I'm trying to say, I guess, is this loss isn't as much on Cornelius as I've read uh, some people are doing, and it, it's just very interesting how I, I think I don't want to say the outs have mailed it in, but they've had a really, really difficult season with the COVID, uh, with the injuries. Um, I've been flat off their MOP right now is James Wilder Jr. I don't think they. Any debate about that one? Um, maybe Greg Jones, you know, just some talk, but I think it's just JWJ uh, keeping Edmonton, you know, within reach. Agreed. Uh, as far as as far as one can be, but I I think we're starting to see some flaws in Edmonton's football team that goes beyond um, Trevor Harris. Because this is an offense generally, but even with Trevor Harris had trouble putting the ball in the end zone early in the season, uh, they certainly had trouble doing so with uh, Cornelius at quarterback. And I, and I think I think there's something wrong with their myths that I think I overshot in the preseason when I said 
Edmonton would finish first in the West. And I just don't know if that is correctable or even what exactly the issue is and how you correct it without you know, trying to capsize the boat on your playoff chances, which are already dwindling. There's an outside chance you're still there for a crossover, but even that's fading by the day. Um, it, it's just a very interesting case study about how you have such a top-heavy, talented offense. I, I would say a middle-of-the-pack, the top-of-the-pack defense. And it's just, I don't know. Like, I don't know. I don't know what the long-term solution is in Edmonton to fix this. And, and it's just baffling to me how, you know, this offense can't put up more touchdowns than they're putting up. Regardless who's the quarterback, it's baffling to me that to this week their special teams kind of let them down outside of Sean White. I'm talking about the ever. Um, it's just very interesting to me, and I'm not sure how you how you fix this this season, and then in general, how you pull the roster apart to fix um, what what clearly is. You know, a different problem popping up every week. And I think that's the frustrating part for Edmonton football fans. Yeah, I think this is a tough hill to hold a climb out of now at this point for Edmonton. You know, we're officially past the midway point of the season here. Uh, they are at 2-5 and five on the year. Uh, they did lose the season series to Calgary, who is also at 2-5. and five. Um, they haven't played a ton of games. I think maybe they beat BC in week number three, so they might have the season series lead there, but they've now got two, their next two games against Winnipeg. They've got two games yet with Saskatchewan. They've got a game with BC in the final week of the season. Then don't forget, they have that rescheduled game with Toronto where they're playing, what was it, three games in 11 days or three games in seven days? Yeah, three, three games in nine three games in nine days later in the season. Like this is only going to get more difficult for Edmonton uh, later as the season goes. So it's not looking great for them now, especially, you know, they've been 0-4 at home on the season. Uh, they do have a couple home games down the stretch, but uh, that certainly hasn't been good there for them. Uh, it's been a tough year for the Elks, and I certainly did not see this coming preseason, as you mentioned, uh, with all the talent they have on the roster. Now, looking at the Ottawa side of things, uh, this was a, just a fantastic start to the game. I mean, they came out, went up 14-0 like a couple minutes into the game. Uh, I think Caleb Evans had one less touchdown pass in the first five minutes of his first CFL start than Ottawa had in the, the entire season coming in, which is absurd. Uh, 15 of 22, 191 yards, three touchdowns. He also added 59 yards on the ground. I kind of liked what I saw from the kid, and I liked – you know, I liked some of the play calling we saw from Paul Apolise in this game, too. I, I thought he, you know, he used the run game decently well in this one. Uh, I thought we saw some trick plays. You know, Ryan Davis threw a 37-yard pass. We saw some guys getting involved. Kenny Stafford got involved and got his first touchdown in a Red Blacks uniform in this game. And, you know, you could honestly see just on the sidelines later in this game, something I don't think we've seen at all yet this season. And that was that these players and these coaches for Ottawa were having fun. 
in this game, and it was great to see. Yeah, and I think it's interesting because I think I don't know if you would agree with me on it. I think we saw an offense that was similarly similarly closer to what was run in Winnipeg minus. I know they went a lot through Andrew Harris, and and, and rightfully so, but. I don't want to make the comparison to Tim Flanders and Andrew Harris, but, you know, I, I don't think it's an accident that, you know, you get some semblance of a running game to help your young quarterback. So with, with a guy like Tim Flanders, who's been around that police system, whether it's in Winnipeg or whether it's elsewhere, I mean, this was pretty close to what we saw from a lot police offense uh, that was in Winnipeg. And, and that's, so take what's there, the five to seven yard passes. Uh, we'll dash you for one big throw every now and then with trickery. We'll have a big run every now and then, and we'll just some very good special teams play. To me, that sounds eerily similar to what we saw last year in Winnipeg. Now, I know Tim Flanders is not an added Harris, but, but, but that's really the only difference that I saw. And now I think the challenge is to follow this up in what's going to be another difficult week for Ottawa with another two-game week coming up uh, this next week. I know not this weekend, but next week uh, with games on uh, Tuesday and Monday or Wednesday and Monday, um, you know, there's a really good chance here, assuming they keep playing the way they do, uh, to put some wins together in a very quick hurry Assuming they continue to keep things simple, um, the biggest thing for me was they kept their defense off the field. Um, when you control the ball, you basically can do what you want as far as controlling the game offensively, therefore also controlling the football game. And it helps you get the punt return. It helps you also get the short field. And you're up four, uh, 14 nothing five minutes into the game. That also helps you young quarterback, too. Whereas I think that's the situation just cutting back to Edmonton really quickly. That's two straight games where Cornelius has basically been down 14 nothing out of, out of the gun in a football game. And that does not help because that changes your game plan a ton. So I think we finally saw the recipe for Ottawa to be successful at a win. I want to see this continue next week and going forward. They might not win every game, but, hey, it's an effort like that. But I think the fan base, when win or loss, can, can get behind. Now, now we get to the part of the show where I get to what I teased on Twitter yet, uh, yesterday or the day before. Oh, and... no. <laughs> Call it an overreaction. Call it crazy. Let me tell you how the Ottawa Red Blacks are going to make the playoffs this year. And, you know, maybe this is too out there. Maybe this isn't going to happen. But I'm going to touch on this now because I think after every episode this year, we've uh, spent a solid amount of time just ragging on the Red Blacks and that this season is over. Uh, heck, I think even before this last game against Edmonton, I said start prepping for 2022. All of a sudden, with this one win, let me tell you how the Red Blacks are going to make the playoffs in 2021. And, and I don't think this is actually out of the realm of possibility. Right now, they have gone from being last in the CFL to now they are in a 
four-way tie for last. So four-way tie for, I guess, sixth in the CFL with Calgary, Edmonton, and Montreal at four points on the season. Montreal does have one less game played than everybody else. But I think it's safe to assume, based on what we've seen the first half of the season, unless injuries change things, which they can, that your top three in the West is going to be some in, in some order Winnipeg, Saskatchewan, and BC. I think it's fair to assume that Hamilton is going to finish in the playoffs in the East. I think it's fair to assume that Toronto is there. So if you're Ottawa, your competition is Calgary, Edmonton, and Montreal. Well, we already talked about Edmonton, uh, how they have that tough schedule coming up, the short schedule, and, and a lot of games against Winnipeg and Saskatchewan, who I would say are the two best teams in the CFL. The standings show it as well. You have Calgary now plays three of their next four against Saskatchewan with a game in beast against BC in the middle, which is not a tough matchup either. So I, I don't see a crossover happening this year. First of all, I, I think the, the play we've seen from the teams in Alberta this year, combined with their tough schedules down the stretch, I don't see a fourth place team crossing over to the East division. So that leaves you, with Montreal and Ottawa for that third playoff spot in the East. They are tied in points right now. Yes, Montreal has one last game. Montreal did win the first matchup with Ottawa, but they play each other three more times yet this season. If Ottawa can build off of this one win they had, uh, you know, this week with their with a fresh start with Caleb Evans at quarterback and all of a sudden get it together, I know they do have a bit of a tough, tough week this next week where they – you know, they play on Wednesday and then they play another game on Monday. And then unfortunately that second one is against Montreal. But you win two, at least you win two of those three games by a large enough margin. And you get the, uh, you get the season series on Montreal. We've seen the Alouettes and we're going to talk about them in a second as a team that's been up and down all season long. Uh, you know, they have so much talent, they just can't get it together. Is it really out of the realm of possibility to see Ottawa turn this around and make the playoffs, Mike? Yeah, I, I don't think it's that far of a realm on a possibility, given now that they have some confidence in a, in a quarterback. Uh, especially, you know, Christian didn't really show himself too badly either as an alternative option on third and short and, and a few other plays. Um, and then, of course, you have the, the Paul Apple, Bobby Dice coaching situation but to motivate the guys. Uh, basically keep it in-house, but if they believe believe in themselves, even though nobody outside the dressing room or maybe very few of their fans uh, believes in them, but, you know, this is very doable, uh, especially if Montreal loses uh, this week and falls uh, to 2-5 and five on the season. So now all of a sudden uh, the pressure gets a little bit tighter on... Uh, the pressure just a little bit tighter on Montreal, and all of a sudden now you have two teams at two and five, and then you talked about the three head to heads. Uh, it gets it, very interesting very quickly if you're uh, if you're Ottawa, if you're Montreal, and especially uh, given the fact that it's Montreal Hamilton this week. So yeah, it it could be a very interesting uh, few weeks in Ottawa. Let's move on to uh, the other matchup in the East Division this past week. The, uh, the Alouettes and the Toronto Argonauts. Uh, the Argos win 30-27. to 27. A uh, fantastic game this was, I thought. Uh, if you wanted offense, you got an explosive game 
out of this one, we also had a great game, I think, between BC and Saskatchewan uh, this week as well, which we'll get into in a second. But some great football to be played this week. And uh, the Argos take this one 30 to 27. Uh, I think it was early. It, you know, Toronto started with a good touchdown drive. Uh, then Montreal was taking charge. They had the ball for the bulk of the second quarter. And then right in the final minutes of the second quarter, Toronto turns around and puts two touchdowns on the board and really, you know, steps up and takes the lead there. Uh, Nick Arbuckle not ready to go in this one due to injury. So McLeod Bethel Thompson gets in for another chance to play. Uh, 13 of 19, 68% passing, 210 yards and two touchdowns for Bethel Thompson. Uh, I thought he looked pretty good in this game, though. It seems to be the up and downs for him and the Argos, and uh, I guess this was another one on the upswing, wasn't it? Yeah, although this is a typical... Vernon Adams isn't doing very well, kind of game. Um, just very interesting, because when Vernon Adams plays the way he did... In that one day, against Ottawa, where they won 50 to 24, I think the score was. And then now you get performances that seem to be, well, let's put it what it is, the norm this year, where, you know, VA tries to do a little bit too much and do some costly, costly turnovers. They put the ball on the field a couple of times. Uh, there was a big catch for Todd. Uh, I just taken away because that when that player went to the ground, they lost the football. Um, it, it's just a calamity of inconsistency for Montreal on, on offense again. Comes back to bite them, and it's I don't want to say it's the tale of two games, but it almost is because. When VA is on and that offense is clicking and William Stanback runs for 120-something yards and gets a player of the week recognition, yeah, the running is not the issue. It just seems like the horrible inconsistency, and I do not know. It's impossible, and it's almost infuriating because we saw... We saw a very good VA like two years ago where it was like, okay, is this guy in the MOP conversation ended up not being, uh, getting uh, first place votes anyway. But what wound up happening is like this inconsistent play at quarterback, this inconsistent play on an offense, but I think has the capability of being the best offense in the CFL, constantly stubs their own toe. And then that's not even to talk about, you know, the quarterback at the other side who, I mean, I told you before we recorded this, I'm not sure what to make of on every other week because one week he looks like an MOP candidate, the next week he looks completely like the latest figure to mount. Uh, good on, you know, McLeod Bethel Thompson for having a really good game and showing and giving some ideas perhaps that, you know, that number one quarterback position in Toronto may not be as set as it appears, even if our buckle is healthy. Now, that's another whole discussion in itself. So, 
You know, I think this football game, as a result, Ryan, has kind of clouded the situation uh, for both teams. I mean, you know, now Toronto and Hamilton are tied for first in the division. Hamilton has the upper hand, uh, thanks to a win on Labor Day. Um, you know, it's just, it's going to be this East division where it's whoever plays good on a given week is going to win a game and the head-to-head speed for themselves. You know, it's kind of like the movie, Any Given Sunday. I think they give it any any given week in the in the East Division. And, you know, you, you're, in, you're in for a surprise every week when you figure out, when you think you know what's going to happen in that division. Uh, it really surprises you. And this, to me, was a, was a surprise, even though it shouldn't be. And I, I keep selling the Ardos short, and then they pull pull this one out, and then I go on the Ardo bandwagon, and then uh, Montreal pulls one out, but, you know, a lot of people didn't see it, and we write off Ottawa watch up for this week. Uh, you know, they're written off, so I think it speaks to... Uh, I think I'm going to pull Ottawa into this conversation now, but they're kind of right there in that division for a playoff spot. It's everybody has a weakness. A different weakness seems to show every week from a different team. And it's just very interesting as a whole. And I know that was a long way to your question, but that's kind of how I see it. And I don't know outside of Hamilton right now, assuming the Ticats finish first in the East, which is I think what's going to happen. I don't know if I could properly predict who's going to win that Eastern semifinal right now. Well, it depends if it lands on the odd or the even-numbered weeks, I think, because the Argos literally are up and down, up and down every single game. Uh, And I think part of it is also you have to look at their schedule for the Argos. Uh, 3-0 at home so far, 1-3 on the road. You know, every second game has been a home game for them. And uh, when they play at home, you know, I, I, want, I want to take this second to give some recognition to Argos fans because the overarching theme of everybody's talk around Toronto is, oh, why is the stadium empty? Where are the fans? Nobody cares about the Argos in Toronto. Yeah, I, I see that a lot. You know, I, I people oftentimes they're an afterthought. But for the Argos fans that show up to BMO Field, they are allowed they're proud, and it definitely, I don't think, is an accident that they are 3-0 and at home because, you know, even if it's not a packed stadium, and frankly, we're not seeing packed stadiums necessarily around the entire league either, so it's not just Toronto, but there is some sort of home field advantage going there, and uh, it's proving to be a great place for the Argos to play so far this season as all of their best games have come at home. And, you know, there you can... You can almost hint to like certain plays that turn things around in a football game. You know, TSN always had the TSN turning point. It really was the end of the first half in this one. You know, a minute left in the half, DJ Foster runs in for a touchdown. Then Montreal gets the ball back. Like Toronto didn't get the ball or a play, I think, offensively in the uh, second quarter since till like, uh, what was it? Like, five, six minutes left in the quarter. 
because Montreal was handling the ball the whole time. Then they finally get a good drive going, put points on the board. Montreal gets the ball back, throws Vernon Adams, throws an interception with 25 seconds left in the half. And you're thinking, okay, normally, you know, you're around midfield. Maybe you run a couple plays, try to get a, a field goal here. No, McLeod Bethel-Thompson bombs it downfield to a wide-open Chandler Worthy for a 52-yard touchdown with 16 seconds left in the half. I love the play call right there to completely turn things around all of a sudden for the Argos. And now it's a 21-10 lead going into halftime. And I know Montreal did, you know, come back and make it close late in the game. But uh, I thought that was some excellent play calling there for the Argos to turn things around after uh, having their defense on the field most of the quarter. That, that that was the difference in the game right there, Ryan. And sometimes it sometimes it means you have to make an unconventional play call and take a gamble. And hey, you're a hero when that gamble works. You questioned when it doesn't, it worked this time. Um personally I think you have a great quarterback in McLeod Bethel Thompson to run that play at the end of the half. And why not, right? He's been that gunslinger, you know, that dive to make that 40-yard throw when he has to. But, like, where is the coverage on that play? Like, Montreal was totally unprepared for that play. Um, you know, there was a guy, I think, five to seven yards away. But really, that play was not going to be – that play was going to be a touchdown – Unless something happened with the throw. And it was the perfect throw. And you know what? I think people saw McLeod Bethel Thompson short. That, you know, all of a sudden, maybe Toronto knew what they were doing. Because it seems to be this two-quarterback system that seems to keep the Argos afloat in this division. And right now, currently tied for the division. Um, It's very interesting um, and I think, to be honest, that's on the offensive coordinator. He's that, that gunslinger, like, let's take the chance here, right? you know. And he's got the quarterback, I think, the perfect quarterback to uh, to uh, execute the play. And I, I think it's a situation of the coach tells the quarterback, hey, if you see the play, go for it. If not, just throw the ball away and we'll take the three points. And I think, to be honest with you, more, more, more coaches should think like that. I think there's way too much conservative play uh, right before the half in particular. You know, rightly or wrongly so. Uh, you know, points are valuable, especially, you know, if left on the field. But, you know, I, I wish more teams would take a, a page out of Dimwitty's book in that situation and say, you know what, we're in control of this football team. But if we made this play, we really grabbed control of that football game. And as we found out, that play wound up being the difference uh, in in the football game. Uh, granted, the game dropped back to three points. And what we can make of those garbage-time touchdowns, make of it what you will, but the scoreboard says Toronto won by three points. So, yeah, it was a big touchdown, and... It was a really big statement that said, hey, we want to control this football game. Let's go get it. And it worked. And that should be done more by coaches. I think coaches are way too conservative at points. Um, it's big decisions like this that lead to two points as far as I'm concerned. 
Let's move on to the last game we haven't talked about yet, which is the Saskatchewan Rough Riders and the BC Lions. The Riders pull this one out 31-24. Definitely the game of the week, possibly, you know, game of the season material. Uh, What a finish in this one. Uh, The Riders, you know, they're they're down 24-18 at the three-minute warning. they hold BC and, you know, decently well in their own end. An awful punch shanked out of bounds by Stefan Flintoff. Uh, the Riders take the ball back with a minute 42 uh, left in the game. Uh, Cody Fajardo moves the ball downfield. They move the ball downfield. They, he scores with 20 seconds left on a one-yard touchdown run. Uh, Brett Water makes the convert. They go up 25-24. And then, you know, with two seconds left in the game, they kick it off. Lucky Whitehead fumbles the ball and uh, the Riders take it in for another touchdown in the final two seconds to, uh, is that the fastest we've ever seen two touchdowns scored in a football game? It might be. Uh, The Riders put up two late touchdowns there, win 31-24. A gutsy late game effort here by Saskatchewan to win this one. Yeah. Um, this is this is the tale of a game, but it's not over till it's over. Uh, this is also a game in my mind where every little mistake gets magnified at the most crucial time you have to execute. And I was in a hotel room at a hockey tournament. I come back into the hotel to see the second half of the football game. I think it was at the time. And I was there with one of our members of the crew that was doing uh, the games with me that week. And I literally said to him, when that kit went out of bounds, I literally said that the, that, uh, the riders were going to come back and win. Um, just because the way they were controlling the ball all game, and the field position that they had and the amount of time that they had. And unfortunately, for whatever reason, BC did the one thing that you cannot do on that play, and that is shank the ball off your foot. Because I think if that's a standard punt, I think you're talking about field position being backed up another 20, 25, maybe even 30 yards. And that makes a whole heck of a lot of difference given the amount of time left. I don't know if it would have mattered the way that drive was engineered, but there's a difference between starting at the 50 or 55-yard line versus starting at the 30, 35, or 25-yard line. And, you know, this was a situation of, I hope it doesn't come back to um, tip the boat in BC as far as their season goes because losses like this have a tendency to linger and all of a sudden now you've got the West number one team coming to town next week and you drop that team and the devastating effect of this other one You've now basically resorted yourself to a possible uh, road playoff game. Plus, I don't think you've subjected yourself uh, to losing the crossover, but there's a lot of things that can happen in a loss like this. 
And I've been by the same token, there's a lot of things that can happen. You know, when you win a game that you're not necessarily supposed to win. And I think for all intents and purposes, this is one that got away for, from BC. And Saskatchewan had a little bit of a window. And they went through the window and won the football game. And this is a learning experience for BC. Um, their defense, by and large, I think, has been a mu- much improvement over the course of uh, over the course of time. But this is just devastating when you factor in that week one loss that BC had, and now you lose the tiebreaker, and to lose it that way in a game that you really had control of, by and large, for for the most part of it. Um, I'm very curious, I guess, to see how the riders respond this week, getting that emotional jump. And then I'm very curious how BC comes out. Uh, to be honest, I, I think BC is going to be okay. But the problem is you cannot allow games like this to compound and carry over to the Nets, to the Nets, to the Nets, especially where we are in the CFL season. So that's kind of one thing I'm looking for. Uh, this week, and then of course the Riders. I mean, they have a new receiver every week that seems to want to enter stardom, and it's just very fun to watch. And you know, much like Saskatchewan, hey, those two losses to Winnipeg. I was curious how they were going to bounce back, and uh, Saskatchewan answered my question there. Now I have the same question with PC, and we'll see how they respond. Now, overall, this wasn't too bad of a game between two teams that really were fighting for second place in the West Division, and I think we'll be fighting in for one of the four spots in first or second place in the West all season long uh, the rest of the way. I, I think that's clear, you know, Winnipeg, Saskatchewan, and BC are the upper echelon of the CFL right now, and it was fun seeing these teams go to head-to-head, two great quarterbacks, two great teams going head-to-head. I have to I have to touch on BC's run game here, uh, and you know what? Let's back up. Let's let's start talking first. Depth chart shenanigans is what I'll call it. Um, we we saw it earlier in the year with BC uh, with the quarterback situation with Riley and Rourke in the first two games. Then they finally started putting Riley as a starter, but a cue beside him for game time decision questionable on the depth chart. Well, this week, Shaq Cooper missed last game, gets back onto the depth chart. They put him in, slot him in as the kick return guy only, and James Butler as the starting running back. Now, Shaq Cooper ended up getting the bulk of the plays at running back. He didn't return a single kick. Lucky Whitehead did most of the returns. James Butler, I think, even had one or two there. So, like, a complete flip of what was on the depth chart. It's, I know it screwed a lot of people over in CFL Fantasy this week. Uh, uh, the Ticats did something similar earlier in the week where Sean Thomas Erlington was the third-string running back, took all, basically all the carries. Uh, Jackson Bennett was the starter, didn't touch the ball once. Uh, it's quite frustrating for anybody who plays fantasy or the likes of that. It's quite frustrating as somebody who produces fantasy content every single week to try to, you know, give accurate advice based when it's really just a toss up in the air of is the depth chart true or not. But I don't know if I've seen a team that is a good football team. I consider the lions 
just not run the ball whatsoever to the extent that BC does. I mean, they had a total of seven carries in this game. Michael Riley was their leading rusher. And the guy who was really, you know, is the number one running back on the team, Shaq Cooper. Yes, he had seven catches, but he had two carries for negative two yards and a touchdown. When have we ever seen a starting running back have finished with a touchdown, but negative yardage? I don't know. It's just, it's very curious to me. And I don't think I've ever seen it. I Maybe in a Madden game when you're playing on a rookie <laughs> and you have back-to-back 10-yard losses and then you really pin, you know, the running game the rest of the team. But I don't believe I've ever seen it in person. Yeah, it's, it's nuts. And, you know, this week they have such a juicy matchup against the Bombers who have been the worst team in the CFL against the run this year, uh, ironically enough, after how good they were in 2019. Like, you have to think if you're going to ever start using the run game, this is the week to do it. And I'm interested to see what that game is going to look like on Friday night. But uh, but overall, a really good football game here. I liked the good, the solid game by the Riders. As you mentioned, uh, after those two games against Saskatchewan, uh, or against Winnipeg, sorry, where they looked pretty down on the season. We were wondering which Riders team is real. Well, it seems like it's the team earlier on this year. Winnipeg's just the one that gave them struggles. Uh, nice day by the Riders, you know, getting their young receivers involved once again. Ricardo Lewis had a great day. Uh, he was kind of the breakout performance in this one, 71 yards and a touchdown, caught all five of his passes. Uh, I, I think this is going to be a pretty heated race for the top three spots in the West Division uh, down the stretch. Yeah, I think it. I mean, for the most part, I think it's funny because I think these things will sort itself out. Um, I think second place has sorted itself out, barring a barring a massive uh, um, barring a massive. I just change at the last second. Uh, I'm curious, and I think this is BC's last dash at trying to get first place, although I think a win last week would have made things a little bit more interesting. Um, To be honest with you, I do not see one, two, three in the West changing all that much, but, you know, I've been proven wrong, and somebody could um, lose a lose a quarterback and then there somebody of significance and that that to change everything. But by and large, I mean, you know, Bombers have the tiebreaker over Saskatchewan. Ironically, Saskatchewan's only two losses of the season. You know, BC's already lost two to Saskatchewan. If they lose, you know, even one to Winnipeg, that kind of puts them in a, in a, in a spot where, now you may or may not be peeking over your head at the crossover. I don't think that'll be the case, like you said. But things will slowly kind of start to settle up as far as whether it'll be a crossover, and then it's just a matter of what all this, with all this head-to-head still to come. Um, does that change any of the seedings, given the first tiebreaker being head-to-head? 
Anything else you want to touch on this game or week eight slash first quarter of week nine in general before uh, before we move on to uh, looking ahead to this the rest of this next week, Mike? Yeah, I just think, you know, we had a lot of questions answered. Um, I think by and large we have this figured out. Uh, at least I think we did. And now all of a sudden that door is open for who's going to finish third in the East and then... You know, is there a West team that's going to get us together that's going to take a run at the uh, at the crossover? The only thing that would scare me at this point, Ryan, is if Calgary decides to get their app together and decides to take a run at the crossover. Because I think, to be honest with you, Calgary is one of those teams that they're Calgary. When they get hot, there's no stopping them, and I think if they can get into the crossover, it's going to be a very interesting um, few weeks as far as that goes. I, I think Edmonton, I don't think they're done, but I think they're hanging by a thread, and I think it's going to come down to you know what they do in those last two games against the Bombers here after this week, because I think if, if if you lose one to two of those games with Winnipeg, I, I think you can turn the lights out on your season because you have no more tiebreakers that you can win. Um, so I, I think as sad as it is, um, we might be starting to see the playoff picture come a little bit into focus as far as who will be participating. Where those teams will finish, I'm not so sure. And I think that's a byproduct, unfortunately, of the COVID season and the heavier emphasis on divisional teams late. And and that's a real, real disappointment. Now, I understand that had to happen, but you know what? In a normal year, I think we'd have a little bit more chaos, though. But it's almost like we know who's going to be in the playoffs, potentially, it's just a matter of which order and who's going to get that third seed in the East, which I change my mind every week on. So, yes, there's questions, but there's also, I think, a lot more, a lot more concrete than what we would normally have heading into a week nine situation. Let's get into talking about CFL Fantasy to wrap up week number eight. Uh, the Canadian Football Podcast Fantasy League, Network Fantasy League. Uh, I picked up a win in week number eight over Safmod from the Piffles Podcast. Uh, my best total on the season at 106.3 uh, points put me at six and two on the year, still holding on to top spot in the league. For week number nine, I'm facing off against uh, Mike from the Podski Wee Wee Podcast. So make sure you check out both the Piffles and Podsky Wee Wee podcasts uh, for all riders and Ticats talk from around the Canadian Football Podcast Network. In our little fantasy league, uh, before week number eight, uh, a couple moves we made. Uh, Mike dropped Bowie by Mitchell, picked up Keon Schaefer-Baker after his big game against Toronto the week before. Uh, I dropped Daniel Peterman and picked up Malik Irons because uh, half my running backs were on bye week uh, or injured, and I wanted a third running back. And, well, Irons didn't get a whole lot of points, but he helped a little bit. Um, the totals on the, the week between Mike and I, uh, well, this one was a landslide. Uh, I, got, I got destroyed. It wasn't even close. Uh, I ended up fielding a lineup of Michael Riley, William Powell, John White, Malik Irons, 
Kyron Moore, Jake Weineke, Javon Katoy, Brian Burnham, uh, and I had the Bombers defense and uh, Sean White as my kicker. Both didn't play this week, but they were the ones on my roster, so zero points from them. 85.1 points. And this is where I got blown out of the water. Cody Fajardo, 22.4 points for Mike. Uh, DJ Foster, Sean Thomas Erlington, William Stamback, 25.4. Lucky Whitehead, 30.3. Keon Schaefer-Baker, uh, Eugene Lewis, 25.2. Braden Lenius, the solid 12.6. And uh, the Hamilton's defense with 18 points. It wasn't even close. Mike, you win this week, 153 to 85.1. And uh, vault over me in the overall standings ahead now by 17 points on the year. Your thoughts on uh, CFL fantasy from last week? Well, it's funny, right? Considering how things have kind of balanced out, I had that one crappy week. I think it was three weeks ago. And then now the table's kind of turned, and it's kind of been a, been a dead week in my favor, which has made things interesting again. And game uh, on. Game on indeed. We'll see how things go uh, the rest of the season. Uh, I like the tightly contested race. Uh, getting into our CFL Pick'em for week number nine. Uh, last week's picks, uh, let me check. I forget how I did on last week's games. Uh, two out of three right on last week uh, for me. And then I did pick Edmonton to beat Ottawa for this week, which is incorrect. I know you picked the Red Blacks and won that one. Yay! Gold star for me for getting one right for once. <laughs> We're making as people. Uh, getting into the remaining three games of this week, uh, Friday night to Winnipeg in BC. Uh, first of all, Mike, what do you think the pick trend is on this one? I think it's 65 35. Ah. Yeah, 65-35, I didn't find out the numbers, right? 81% in favor of Winnipeg on the road is the pick trend. Uh, where are you going on this game? I'm going to go with what I did all year. I'll gladly take a run on this one. I'm taking BC at home by a field goal. Yeah, I'm, I'm actually going to take the Lions on this one as well. Winnipeg's a great team. These are two great teams. Uh, frankly, the thought of Michael Riley and that passing attack, frankly, the thought of Lucky Whitehead against the Bombers just terrifies me, uh, especially with the kicking game here uh, and the potential of him returning to some of those missed field goals, uh, not to mention his ability to break tackles, which Bombers have been a little sloppy in that regard. Uh, I will take the Lions in a close game here. As Although, well. Ryan, I believe the Bombers are getting some reinforcements on defense and, and kit returns. So I think that, you know, I, I, I still think that that's going to take more than this game to, to, to settle out. Um, but we'll, we'll see a defense, I think, that resembled the one that started against Hamilton. Whether they can keep that up on the scoreboard, what they did in week one, I just remains to be seen. Moving on to the second game of the week, uh, or, well, third game, I guess, because the one already happened on Tuesday. These weeks are driving me nuts. I'm getting so confused. Um, but the the second game yet that we have to talk about, first game on Saturday, the Hamilton Tiger Cats hosting the Montreal Alouettes. Uh, pick trend guess on this one. What do you think? 70-30 Hamilton. 
Pretty close. 78-22 Hamilton is the trend. I will also go with the Ticats on this one. I think a team that is going to be getting some nice pieces back on offense. They also had a big game against Montreal back in week number three or four, I believe it was. Uh, I like the Ticats again on this one. They're really rounding into form defensively uh, right now, and the offense is only going to get better. Yep. I agree with that. We're gonna have a right. We're gonna have a race for that third playoff spot in the East. And guess what? It's gonna be tied by the end of this week. Uh, I'm taking the uh, tight cast to win by ten plus. And then final game of the week: the uh, Calgary Stampeders coming off the bye to host the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. This will be uh, the Riders now play three straight games against Calgary with a bye week in between. Uh, or Calgary has a game against BC in between, but they're going to be seeing a lot of each other in October. Uh, what do you think the pick trend is for this one, and who are you taking in the first matchup between them? I'm going to say the pick trend is 65% in favor of the Riders. 82% in favor of the Riders is the official trend right now. I have a bit of an issue with that. And can I just expand on that for one minute? Sure. I do not believe that Calgary is getting the respect that they deserve based on the track record of the last five to ten years. Calgary's played a lot of close games. A lot of games, I think three of them are two for sure, that have resulted in less than a touchdown loss is Winnipeg, uh, BC, and then I think there was one more uh, in there as well. Uh, yes, things haven't gone swimmingly uh, for Calgary this year, but I still believe that when all things are said and done, the Calgary's going to be a force to be reckoned with by, by, by season's end. Now, I realize, you know, these pit trends and that can be somewhat lopsided. Uh, I don't know if there's a way to research this, but I'd like to see the record of teams favored with the pit trend. So I, if I guess that would be the fan picking trend. Correct. The percentage of people that have picked them. So who has, like how has that team's record been over the course of the season? That's, that, that's just a curiosity thing to me. Uh, to me, that pitch trend is a little bit disrespectful to how good I think Calgary can be. I know they've had their issues this year, but Calgary's also played some dead close games that uh, could have gone either way. So I'm just floored at that 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 pitch trend. I, I would ima- I would imagine that those are mostly Saskatchewan fans voting on that on that pitch trend. Uh, because that's not the first time we've seen a rather awkward, uh, not, not awkward, but a rather lopsided pit trend for a game involving the Riders. That being said, uh, the Riders should win this game. I don't think they will. I think the Riders stubbed their toe on this one. I think bully by Mitchell is out to prove a point that he's still the number one guy. And I think the uh, I think Saskatchewan drops a close one at home. Uh, well, well Stam- the Stampeders are at home in this game, but uh, you- you're still taking Calgary to win either way, right? Sorry, my bad. For some reason, I thought the game was in Saskatchewan. No, um, that's, that's next week. 
I but no, I know I'm I'm I I still think Calgary wins this one at home. I just can't see Calgary dropping another game at home. And I think the Riders got a little bit lucky to win last week in for a fight. I say this is under two and a half, which is my advantage uh, automatically to the uh, home team in a close game. I am taking the Riders on the road in this one. I don't know if I'll take them in all three matchups between these teams, but uh, I, I do agree with the pick trend here. And if you want to look at the statistics, I would imagine the fan, you know, pick, uh, would closely align with what the betting lines say because uh, generally you know who's the underdog people are going to pick the team they think you're going to win so I imagine those are pretty closely aligned and I know earlier in the season it was the underdogs that won a lot of the games I think maybe that's balanced out a little bit more now um, but I agree with what everyone's thinking on this one with the riders uh, the riders have gotten some nice pieces back defensively from injury now. They're also getting A.C. Leonard back on the defensive line. He's done his suspension at this point. Uh, I think Calgary is just, I don't really know what to expect from them. I mean, I'm assuming Bo Levi Mitchell starts this week again. I I, I said this on Fenton, you know, the, the Canadian Football Fantasy Fix all week long. Uh, I would love to see Jake Mayer get the start here for Calgary, but I know that's not realistic. Uh, that Bo is going to be starting. I don't think Bo is 100% healthy still. And I think Calgary's got issues across the board here. I, I really like the Riders to win this game on the road. That does it for our games for the rest of week number nine. Uh, we will be back early next week to uh, recap the rest of these games and then uh, start talking about the five games we have for week number 10. Uh, both Ottawa and Toronto playing twice, so that should make things interesting. Uh, Mike, before I wrap up the podcast, uh, anything you want to plug or mention, and where can people find everything you've got going on these days? Yeah, so everybody can find everything www.jametimetv.ca. That's the pay-per-view channel. You can create a complimentary account. You do not need to buy a pass. Uh, There is going to be some free content coming out uh, for those that have an account but do not have a subscription. Uh, the Manitoba Women's Junior Hockey League played their first game in almost 600 days this Saturday, and it's 581 total days. I can't remember the number now off the top of my head. But anyway, long time since March 10th of 2020. It'll be their first game uh, there, so the passes are on sale now for that at 84.99 the early bird will end on Friday at 11.59 Central Time before it goes up to full price uh, for the rest of the year at $99.99. Uh, the UA team passes are on sale moving well. Uh, thanks to listeners, uh, listener and viewer support, lead support as well. Um, and yeah, I just had a really good weekend that uh, uh, exceeded expectations. Those passes available online as well. And then there's free content coming as well. Also, just want to plug my new daily show that I started this week, uh, or actually continued. It was the season premiere of Game Time Today. That'll be live on Game Time TV's Facebook page most weekdays from uh, starting at 12 noon, where I'll post some guests in uh, from the local circles as well uh, to talk. Apparently, Mr. Troop, you are set for my show this afternoon, so I look forward to talking 
uh, CFL with you, but I already hasn't been hashed out on this podcast. <laughs> maybe a bit of repet- not. maybe be a, a bit of repetition there, but we'll see. That's because I think we covered everything. But nonetheless, I, I just want to say that I appreciate everybody's support. I also wanted to say, Ryan, but I just appreciate your support, uh, trying to get everything up and running, being really accommodating with the show and moving things around, because uh, it's been a little bit of chaos here. Um, haven't really had much time to do much of anything else. I, I appreciate your uh, your steadiness with this show and your and your uh, I guess your openness to moving this thing around when I need it. Uh, very much appreciated. It's a team effort uh, for everybody here to pull off what I'm trying to do. Uh, generally, you can find my content as well on Twitter at MyCarol. So, appreciate the support, everybody, so far. And uh, let's keep up the great work, uh, not only on this podcast, but also on my other ventures as well. Well said. Round of applause for, in my opinion, arguably the hardest working man in broadcasting. The man on the other side of the microphone or the other side of the Zoom call from me here broadcasted 17 freaking hockey games in three days on the weekend. How do you even still have a voice? I know we're on at Thursday by this point. How do you even still have a voice to record this podcast with me? Amazes me. So kudos to you, Mike, on a successful weekend of broadcast there. And as you mentioned, check out everything he's got going on with Game Time TV. Uh, for my side of things, uh, as I've talked about a couple of times throughout the show, I produce uh, CFL fantasy content all week long. Over on YouTube, you can find, uh, just search the Canadian Football Fantasy Fix. Uh, Each week I go through positions, uh, previews for every single position. Every time depth charts come out, I'll I'll have a video out going over those as well to get you all set for setting your lineups each and every week. Uh, I've been having a lot of fun doing that uh, throughout the season and uh, a lot of great, uh, great interactions with that. So I've definitely enjoyed that. You can check that out on YouTube. You can also follow me on Twitter at CooperTrooper42 for, uh, you know, updates on when those videos come out uh, and any other fantasy content along the way. I tweet out all the depth charts every single week as well. Uh, you can find our podcast on Twitter at CFC on Mike FM. You can find us on Facebook as well. Uh, whichever podcast platform you're listening on, uh, you know, give us a, a like, uh, drop a comment, a review, a rating. We love those. Uh, let's make sure you hit the subscribe button so you can find all the future podcasts and go back and listen to our old library as well and uh, share the show out, share it with your friends, bring some new listeners on board and share in the good times with us. We would love that. Make sure you also check out all the other great shows from around the Canadian Football Podcast Network. Uh, you can find those all at CF Pod Network uh, on Twitter uh, is where you can find all of those shows as well. Well, that does it for this week's episode. Enjoy the rest of the games for week number nine. We'll be back early next week. As always, for Michael Garrow, I'm Ryan Coop saying thanks for listening. Take care. Have a good one. Bye. Bye.